Dear Pilot, Overall, I find you charming and well-structured. Also, who is Catherine and why does she look like Elena? Please write back. Thanks. Sincerely, Bridget. Dear Pilot, I am so excited to talk about you and to delve back into all of the things it took approximately three seconds of stefan smiling at elena for me to feel all the ooey gooey feelings that i felt on watching this the first time sincerely nikki welcome to dear vampire diaries where today we have the pleasure of seeing where it all began uh and we are going to be talking about the pilot i am one of two hosts nikki joined as always with my best friend Bridget. content note the vampire diaries contains heavy themes please check the episode description for trigger warnings and timestamps. and we have a spoiler alert for you up here at the top while we won't be talking about the fun to come in future episodes we will be discussing this episode in detail and you have been warned all right so as of this date the vampire diaries is still on netflix oh thank god i want to read the uh the summary <laughs> Reeling from the death of her parents, 17-year-old Elena becomes interested in a handsome new student named Stefan who's hiding a dark secret. It's not bad. It's funny, though, because it's called The Vampire Diaries, so the fact that they needed to call it The Dark Secret Uh is pretty hilarious to me. It's like, he has a press juicery in his basement. Yeah. You know what I mean? What could could it be? He he also mentions he's a vampire in the first, like minute of the show but yeah yeah we open the episode over um the woods covered in fog and stefan's disembodied brooding voice says for over a century i have lived in secret hiding in the shadows alone in the world until now i am a vampire have you really been alone hiding in the shadows if stefan went to a party in mystic falls and he was like oh, hey, I'm Stefan and I'm new in town. And they were like, what are some other facts? He'd be like, <laughs> uh, well, for over a century, I've lived in secret, uh, hiding in the shadows, alone in the world until this party. And uh, and they'd be like, really? That sounds kind of unrealistic. We know that, like, at least by the end of this episode, that he saw Damon 15 years ago. So, like, <laughs> you're not, like, in a cave somewhere for 100 years. Like, you're fine. Literally think about it, Nikki, though. At this party, they're playing, like, two truths and a lie. He would be like, this is number one, I've lived, you know, in secret. Number two, been hiding in the shadows, alone in the world until now. And number three, I'm a vampire. But then everyone would be like, I think number two is the lie, man. Like, they would know. They knew the Mystic Falls knows what's up. I also, whenever I move, I need to lug around a wardrobe full of diaries that I keep with me everywhere. Like, okay. In a pirate chest. Also, if you're really alone in secret, not doing anything, what are you writing in your diary about? (laughs) You are. It's like you're reading my notes. (laughs) So after we get this monologue from Stefan, where we know that he is a vampire, we get into a very iconic opening scene. I think, um, where we have who we learn later are named Darren and Brooke. Um, They're a couple driving down a dark, very Mystic Falls-like road. The same woods that Stefan was just reading his diary out loud to. Yes, yes. Reciting some Yates or whatever the fuck he does. Writing a diary. I was again alone in secret today. You're number 99, but okay. (laughs) And so Darren and Brooke are coming home from some indie concert that they had experienced. Yeah, and we get, like, only four lines from them. Right. I think 
I mean, I'm going to speak for myself. I felt immediately connected to them. Like, I was like, oh, I like these people. You know, even though we only get four lines to feel connected to them, I think that the writers and the actors do a great job of showing us a little bit of, like, a moment before for these characters because it's like, you already feel a little bit like, oh, <laughs> like, very quickly. Also, you don't know who's going to be a part of the show. Like, you don't know that these are throwaway people. Yeah, they do seem like season regulars. I mean, the show for me is about Darren and Brooke. Absolutely. <laughs> Justice for Darren and Brooke. <laughs> but they're that good. I like them. And and then they drive into a vortex of fog. Did you see that frame where, like, it looks like the fog is like an interdimensional portal? But if I saw that on the road, Nikki, I would turn around and go back to the James Blunt concert. Just saying. I have a real issue in TV shows and movies with people driving and they have their eyes not on the road. If you don't have your eyes on the road, you're going to fucking hit something. Yeah, stop trying to have on-screen chemistry while driving. Drive realistically. Act safely. In any movie or show ever, if somebody spends too much time looking away from the the thing, the road. Yeah, you know that thing. I'm like, you're going to hit something. You're going to get fucking T-boned. Something's going to happen. They even didn't need the fog to just stand there in the middle of the road. Was there any part of you when you first watched this that thought that that vampire was Stefan? Oh, that's a good question. I knew that they wanted me to think that. I I think I was smart enough to know that. That it was just like everything was cut together. And even later in the episode, and like, we'll get there. But it all seems very like, this guy is a vampire. He's in secret. And he's... Look, he's leaving at the right time. Right? (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, back to Darren and Brooke. Obviously, our heroes of the story. They, They hit a guy in the middle of the road. That we don't know who it is. And uh, his body flips over the car. And Brooke is all like, watch out! And the car's all like, Skrrr! and, uh, you know, you're welcome for the sound effects. That was, that was a fun noise. I didn't know we were having Foley in this episode. <laughs> and as Darren's going to check the body, Brooke is like trying desperately to dial 911 like a good person. And I'm like, yeah, good for you guys. Like, not just leaving. Because they could have. They could have driven off, but they're not right. doing that because they are good people. They don't deserve right. to die. And here's the thing. I'm not saying I would have driven off. I'm not saying I'd do a hit and run. <laughs> oh, Nikki. But I am saying that I don't think I would have gotten out of the car. <laughs> yes. My thing would be like, looking behind me, I then see that Darren's gone. There's no body. I'm not getting out of the fucking car. I'm going to take the car and at least try to drive up yeah. or down the road to try to find them and try to get some service. That's a great idea. Ooh, that's a good like, idea. I'm not getting out of the car. Yeah, because the second that you get out of the car and you hear the sound effects that are like, doom. You'd be like, oh, I'm in a horror movie. I need to. Yeah. When Darren is going over to check the body, we get a nice fat insert of this gaudy looking ring. Hey, I wonder if that ring will come up later. <laughs> Chekhov's ugly ring. When the vampire chows down on Darren's neck. I'm calling him the vampire. We know it's Damon. I could just say that, right? It's it's within yeah. this episode. Uh, we get We get a sound effect that is a lion roar. I have never noticed that before. I was just like, yeah. what is that? And it's totally a big cat of some kind. I feel like they were really experimenting in the pilot with what they wanted. Uh, we'll see that at the end of this scene when she just gets kind of swooped out of the air. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I thought that Brooke all of a sudden found out that she could fly. And then I heard her scream because she was surprised that she suddenly had flying powers. Yeah, maybe Brooke isn't dead. Yeah, no, she's she's traveling around the world in 80 days. Also, again, really not victim blaming, but Brooke, why did you run away from the car? Maybe she had always suspected that she could fly. And then and then she was like, this is the moment. This is the moment I'm going to fly, fly away. We get a sense from this scene how twisted this vampire is, because you know what he's doing? He's playing with his food. Mm-hmm. First, by getting hit by the car, which I don't know about you, Nikki, but that's how I like to work up an appetite. That makes me just famished. 
<laughs> getting a good vehicular smashing in. <laughs> and then to torture Brooke like that with Darren's body coming out of nowhere uh, onto the car. I just think that that's a very torturous way of dining. And then we have the show title credits with a single drip of blood from the V in Vampire, which I really like because it's very subtle. Iconic. <laughs> Classic. Iconic. Yes. Beautiful. Perfect. And we get some diary entries. Yeah. Stefan's watching the sunrise alone in secret. We find out that he's come home and there's some risk, but he has to know her. Three guesses as to the her is. And I think also in this scene, you know, it's interesting because in this universe, obviously, the rings are tied to like them being able to walk in the daylight, which we figure out at the end of the episode. But if you're watching this, you're like, the sun's coming up. Shouldn't he be burning? Like, is that not a part? Is he sparkling? What's (laughs) what's this vampire lore? Like, we're still figuring out what the world's rules are in this episode. Um, yeah, there's a couple of really cool moments of that, too, in this yeah. episode with, like, the being invited in right. and other elements like that, which I think are, were done really well, where, like, if you know vampire lore, you're like, ooh, I wonder if that's a thing for them. You're like, oh, yep, it is. Like a cat, Stefan gracefully mm-hmm. lands on his feet after jumping off a two-story roof because stairs are boring. If I see a vampire walking down some stairs ever again in this series, I'm going to be like, take the window. You know what I mean? Don't be boring. And you will. There's a lot of stairs. Stefan and Damon take the window later. (laughs) Um, But what's really cool about this scene in the following part is that it really nicely parallels Stefan and Elena, um, who we see in this opening moment of her uh, writing in her diary. We find out that she's recently lost her parents um, and she's it seems like it's going to be the first day of school or something like that where she's able she's trying to recreate herself. She doesn't want to be the little girl who lost her parents she wants to act like everything is fine and become somebody new um and while she is explaining this in her diary we also get to see some photos of her and her little brother and her parents and see them happy um which gives us as the audience you know a frame of reference for what her life was before she lost her parents and where she's at now yeah and we see that you know she's getting ready in front of her vanity practicing her i'm fine grimace in the mirror so convincing, Elena. <laughs> right, yes. And she goes downstairs where we see her little brother Jeremy and her aunt Jenna. And aunt Jenna opens the refrigerator door in the kitchen, which is the largest refrigerator door I have ever seen in a family kitchen ever. I mean, you could fit five aunt Jennas in that refrigerator because it looks Jesus like an Christ. industrial level freezer or something. I think the Gilberts have just like a dream kitchen. And here we get to see that Jenna's kind of working into being a new parent for them. Um, you know, she's a little bit scattered. She doesn't quite know how to help them. Um, we find out that she's young because she's in thesis. I assume she's like in her 20s, which is interesting as for us now, where we were like Elena's age and now we're Aunt Jenna's age. And the idea of getting some teenagers is fucking terrifying. When I looked it up... I think she was about 20 when this was filmed, and the actress playing Aunt Jenna, Sarah Canning, was 21. Oh, wow. So they are a year apart. Yeah. Also another relatable moment when Elena says, it's all about the coffee, Aunt Jenna. Hell yes, Elena. It is. Especially in high school. And then Jeremy takes Elena's coffee from her. I love that moment. And she's just like, well, all right. Okay, okay, (laughs) fine. And, um, and he not so subtly takes the lunch money from Aunt Jenna. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, what teenager doesn't accept lunch money when offered? Like, I was always starving at lunchtime, and we ate at, like, 1040 <laughs> in the morning. What I think is really fascinating about this moment, I mean, obviously we see Jenna, which I, I like, 
to see Jenna trying her best and, you know, still trying to figure it out. But yeah. we see Elena being, in my opinion, a little hypocritical because the first thing she says to Jeremy is she asks how he is. Like, are you okay? Like, don't start. And it's and then she seems like kind of annoyed. And it's like, you are literally doing to him what you don't want people to do to you. Yeah, that's true. I, I think, you know, she we just saw her put her game face on. And Jeremy doesn't want to break down either before school. Like, he doesn't want to have a cry sesh. He's also, you know, dealing with that dynamic of, like, having to deal with other people. And, yeah, you're right. It is a little bit hypocritical. But I get, you know, she's doing the parenting in this scene. Aunt Jenna is trying her best. And, like, Elena's, like, the one that's like, oh, don't you have, like, a big presentation? We'll be fine. And then she's like, you okay? You know, she's totally stepping into the parent role. And I think as teen when I first watched this that was very relatable to me because I was a similar kind of person you know but as an adult now watching it I'm like you are still just 17 like you are definitely doing your best but like you are not equipped to be doing all of this and it shouldn't be your job to be doing all of this you know and I feel bad that she feels like she needs to do this absolutely and I think it's a way of like finding control and finding stability in a sense, where she gets to embody the thing that's missing for her and Jeremy. And Jenna, weirdly. Like, she's she's mothering her aunt, which is inappropriate. And But, you know, she yeah, she's doing her best. And as Elena, like, sips her coffee, we see in the background that the television has Brooke and Darren's deaths being reported. Well, Darren's death, because Brooke is off flying around the world. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and uh, it doesn't say found dead or missing or anything. I paused it to see what it says. It says breaking news, and it just says their names and their ages. And then at the bottom, the crawl says, today's forecast, sunny with cloudy periods. And I was like, yeah, I have cloudy periods. I just, I really relate to the weather in this show. You know, like sometimes <laughs> I'm just inexplicably kind of foggy, you know? We'll get into the fucking fog for sure. The next thing that we have is we see Elena with who we meet now is Bonnie Bennett. Yes. uh, Her best friend. And Bonnie is driving Elena to school, kind of like how you drove me to school in the morning. Yeah. And I made you listen to a lot of Rise Against. (laughs) Yes, which I now solely associate with that experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And first off, poor Grams. Bonnie goes in real hard on Grams. I agree. Put this woman in a home already? That is cruel. That hurt my heart. Grams has told her that she's psychic and Bonnie thinks that she's nuts. Um, but Bonnie's like, you know what? I did predict a lot of things. And we found out she predicted Obama and Heath Ledger. Um, <laughs> and it's lighthearted and fun, but also interesting. You know, it's in a, you know, as the audience, we know that there are vampires and now mm-hmm. Bonnie's being like, yeah, we're like psychic. I think there's an interesting dynamic going on with like, she's saying it and being like, crazy, right? But also, I think I think some part of Bonnie sharing this with Elena is really excited and looking for a little bit of like feeling just like seen and validated in that excitement, you know? But like then, I don't know if you noticed this, Elena gives her a little bit of like a mm, weird look. When she's like, witches and all that. And Elena's like, oh. And, and Bonnie's like, I know, weird, right? Uh, but it's like, I can feel Bonnie looking for connection through this. Where, like, she, part some part of her wants to believe it. Like, I mean, because Nikki, if my mom told me this, I would be so excited. And I would tell you, and I, but I, I would not be like, ah, put my mom in a home. I'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> witches, yes, 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 I want to be a witch. Bonnie kind of chastised her because she like zones out 
she's like back in the car (laughs) they're passing by the cemetery and elena looks out the window and is probably thinking about how her parents aren't there driving her to school give her a fucking break (laughs) and again can we keep our fucking eyes on the road bonnie bennett yeah yeah bonnie speaking of seeing into the future can you just see in front of you onto the road please also if i was driving my best if i was driving you to school and you had four months ago been in a traumatic car crash where your parents had died i would, would probably so much more delicate with me yeah also i'd probably be driving a little bit more safely <laughs> like <laughs> what the fuck also like in what world do you s- slam on the brakes upon hitting a bird and start like swerving around the road but you know what when i think about it at 17 i was a very nervous driver i mean you were you were an incredible driver but i was a very nervous driver and so i think you know for someone who's still like, oh, like, I'm getting used to being in this big iron thing and trying not to hit other big iron things. I'll just hit birds instead. But the crow, you know, what's so interesting about this is it mirrors the moment where uh, Damon stood in front of the of, uh, Brooke and Darren's car. You know, the crow is probably yes. just trying to build up an appetite by getting hit by a car because that's how, like you do, you know? That's what I do. Wow, I can't wait for the, the vampire crow attack in season four. <laughs> Um, spoiler alert nikki but again god (laughs) yeah you know they they swerve on the road and they slam on the brakes and it's like you know bonnie apologizes and elena's like i can't be afraid of cars forever and she kind of has this like muted response i'm blaming the writers because nina dobrev is a fantastic actress and they should have there's so many moments in this pilot when i'm like I wanted more reaction out of Elena for, like, this thing that's happened to her. That's fair. That's fair. I agree that Nina Dobrev is a fucking incredible actress. But also, Bonnie specifically asks her, are you okay? Giving Elena the perfect chance to rehearse her I'm fine grimace. Yes, That she did in the vanity that morning. So it's already coming in handy. And uh, in probably... The farthest from the mark prediction Bonnie Bennett could ever have predicted. She predicts that it's going to be a kick-ass year. And that, what was it, all All the the sadness sadness is going to be gone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Bonnie, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that's exactly what's going to happen. And and we see the crow perching itself. It's totally fine and totally alive. Or maybe this is a different crow, you know, and it pushed the other crow in front of the car. But it's it's perched on the sign that says Town of Mystic Falls, and it looks at the camera and breaks the fourth wall as if to say, it's breakfast time. And I'm just trying <laughs> to work up an appetite by getting vehicularly smashed. I love that crow, you know? I know. I think this this show is really about Darren Brooke and the crow. The crows in the fog definitely going to be, you know, a really important yeah. part of the show. Highly featured. Forward, you know, it's going to be good. <laughs> But the next thing we see after we find out from it's Mystic Falls, you know, again, of course, the town is named Mystic Falls. You know, it's very, uh, look, there's some shit going on in this town name. Of course, there are vampires and shit here. We see the outside of the school and we see a hot back of Stefan Salvatore walking to the school. His shoulders are swinging as he walks through a crowd of people high-fiving and spin-hugging their friends. I also uh, would like to point out that Stefan is wearing the obligatory Salvatore uniform, which is a leather jacket. And then, unfortunately, speaking of outfits, 
we get to Elena and Bonnie walking down the hall. Bonnie says, major lack of male real estate, to which I say, let's not objectify people, Bonnie. You know, you live in a CW show where there are actually plenty of supremely hot people. Yeah, like everybody. <laughs> everybody. Pretty much everybody. And then Bonnie says something that is not only rude to Kelly Beach, but is extremely transphobic, and it, it makes my heart hurt. This was a moment that I I don't know how many times I've seen the pilot, but I didn't realize this was something that she said until we decided to do this podcast, and you and I were on the phone, and you're like, did you know that Bonnie says this? And I was, like, absolutely shocked <laughs> that this was something that was just in this show, and it's just gross and unnecessary. When she questions if she can still say it, Elena isn't like, no, because that's ignorant and it dehumanizes people. She just says, no, it's over. Like, it was valid at some point. It was a fad. That wasn't cool in 2008. Certainly right. not now. It was yeah. never a fad. It was never, it's never, things are never okay just because they're, you know, popular to say. And you know what that reminds me of? And I did not mean to rhyme just there, but I did. It reminds me of That's So Gay, um, which was a big popular saying when we were in like middle school into high school. And essentially what it meant was that's so stupid or like whatever. I don't know. It, I had so many arguments with people about that. I'm Fortunately, I don't hear that in the right. lexicon of the youth today. The youth. But the youth. Listen to me. Grandma Bridget over here. But anyway, back to Bonnie and Elena. They They turn around and Matt is staring at Elena like a fucking serial killer. He's brooding so heavily. And it's like, I don't feel bad for you. Hey, has everyone forgotten Elena lost her fucking parents four months ago? Like, calm down. Be better. Fuck off. Thank you. He's brooding more than Stefan is. Yeah, like, he's like, she needs space, so I'm just gonna stand ten feet away from her and just glare at her the whole time till she wants me again. Yeah, I'm gonna make this really easy for her to return my my, my unrequited feelings. And be really supportive. Great. Good on you, Matt. Matt, Matt, Matt. And then, Caroline shows up. The ray of sunshine that is Caroline Forbes. And she's looking stunning in that blue color. And the fucking Raiders are doing her dirty in this pilot. Just watching it from my lens, and you know I love Caroline. Like, that's... We both, yeah. Spoiler alert, we both fucking love Caroline. Yeah, and and watching this episode as a teen, I was like, oh, she's the Cordelia Chase, she's the Regina George, like, she's the, you know, mean, hot Popular girl. girl. Yeah. yeah. But what I think about this scene here is that she doesn't know how to act in the presence of grief. I know Bonnie and Elena walk away and they're like, oh, no comment. I'm not even going to say anything. You know, which I think is very funny. But Caroline is like acknowledging it. She's doing her best. You know, she's essentially saying like, are, are you OK? Really? She is doing her best. And as we learn later, she does genuinely try. Because what's interesting is like they kind of frame it like it's ingenuine. Right? Because like the way Elena looks at Bonnie when she's hugging her and it's kind of like, "Ugh, really? Or whatever. But then like Caroline, like. I think her asking, you know, are you okay? And she says, yeah. And she says, really? It's like, sh like, you know, I don't know if Caroline really would know how to handle if she was like, no, I'm really not. I think the reason why she looks to Bonnie and is like, is she okay? And Elena's like, that's rude. Like, I'm right here, you know? But I think it's because Caroline knows enough about Elena to be like, no, I know you practiced your I'm fine grimace face this morning in your in your mirror. 
and so she looks to Bonnie to get some kind of clue. And I actually think Caroline feels really left out of their friendship dynamic. We'll talk about this later when we get to the Bonnie-Caroline scene, where it just kind of feels like Bonnie is kind of impatient with Caroline. Um, you know, Caroline has her own concerns and obviously she hasn't lost both of her parents but like she has her own things that she's struggling with and it kind of feels like bonnie is just kind of like minimizing them or making them seem like they're not actually issues um, yeah if, if there's a reason why they're upset with caroline it doesn't happen in this scene for me you know what i mean it's like that's like a that's a history there's something there that they you know don't like about caroline or just something there, there's like an inherent bias you can feel like yeah but I don't see it in this scene. Like, I'm just yeah. like, she's she's doing her best. People yes. don't know how to deal with someone grieving. That's just yes. a thing. In the next scene, I call this drug alley or drug deal alley. Um, <laughs> yeah, I called it the school's drug corner. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Like, this looks like they're, like, on the side of the building. Like, And Jeremy and Tyler have a pissing contest about who can do more outdated references of middle-aged men in the entertainment industry. And they almost get into a fight about it. Ugh. How dare you? Pete Wentz is not a middle-aged man. Oh, okay. Do you know who Pete Wentz is? Uh, is it, I, I looked him up, and he is 41. But back in 2008. He, was he hot or something? I don't even know. He was part of, or he is part of Fallout Boy. Oh, Fallout Boy. Right, right, right. I also yes. read that when I Googled him. Emo King. What the fuck is Tyler getting so mad about? What a great introduction to Tyler, who will not be getting better. Vicky, who we're meeting in this scene as well, is like, she tells Tyler, you know, stop, that's Elena's little brother. To me, that makes me feel like he's a freshman. Maybe he's a... Maybe he's a freshman or maybe he's a sophomore. I can't really tell because they're all, like, 25. (laughs) Right. But so the next thing we see is... Elena and Bonnie looking at this new mystery man. Yeah, and they're objectifying him. Bonnie's still on the lookout for male real estate. And, uh, you know, they're checking him out. They don't realize that he's using a mind control tactic on the school secretary. Is that an outdated school record keeper? I don't know. School receptionist? I have no idea what the correct term anyway. would be. She looks awesome in that purple shirt and in her, like, matching eyeshadow. I just want to say that. And we do get to see our first example of compulsion, where he's like, take a look again. I think you'll see that everything is in order. And she's like, oh, yes, it is, indeed. Um, So we get to get a little bit more vampire lore in here uh, with the compulsion. Right. Vampires are known for their hypnosis, sort of. Yes. Um, and we get the classic hot back. And Bonnie says, I'm sensing Seattle. Yeah, and he plays Which the guitar. I was like, is that a Twilight reference? This gets interrupted by Elena seeing Jeremy kind of stumble into the bathroom. Oh, okay. See, I just, from my perspective, he walks into the bathroom and she's like exasperated all of a sudden. And I was like, why do you think he's high? <laughs> yeah, actually, on looking at my notes, it does say, okay, was he doing literally anything to make her think to follow him? <laughs> so. No, you can't see, like, you can't see red eyes from far away like that. Like, if, you know, I think this would have played better if they had, if they had done this in the school drug corner or whatever drug alley little drug alley because if she had seen him dealing drugs at school which is a way worse crime than being high at school i think that that would have warranted her being like following him into you know a male gendered space and being like hey like cut the crap you know yeah and this moment Um, is wild it's wild that she just barges into the men's room and like attacks her little brother and you know, she means well, um, but first of all, 
I'm also with Elena. What the fuck is chill yourself? That was never part of the lexicon, in my opinion. I've never, ever heard anybody say that except for Jeremy Gilbert. Speaking of uh, lexicon, I, I had to turn on subtitles to figure out what the guy exiting the stall says when she walks into the bathroom. You did the same thing. You did? It's pants down, chick. And I didn't yeah. I was like, what does that mean? And then I was like, oh, he's saying he had his pants down. And then he's calling yeah. her a barnyard animal. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I don't know yeah. about you, but I could have done without that comment. Um, I think it would have been... To been... be fair, also, he was not expecting some, like, lady to be in the men's room. Yeah, but like... I think that moment would have been funnier if he, he had just jumped and then looked at her and, like, left like a real teenage boy yeah, would that's have. that's true. That's true. Instead of just, like... Yeah. yeah. It's not, like, an, an everyday occurrence, hopefully, at this high school. <laughs> but then Elena grabs Jeremy's face, like smushes it in her hands, and she examines his eyes, upon which she finally determines that her suspicions of him going to the bathroom because he's stoned are correct. And he was, of course, putting eye drops in his eye before she interrupted him. Um, But what's interesting... And she declares that she will ruin his buzz every time as the toilet flushes and another dude walks out, and this time without comments. And doesn't wash his hands. But anyway... Would you? That scene would have been so different if he had walked next to them. He's just like, excuse me, I gotta get some soap. And he that would have been great. What I think is interesting is, similar to her asking if he was fine, this moment is mirrored later by the teacher because she's basically saying, you know, the summer she gave him like a summer pass and like later the teacher is just like you know i gave you the summer but like this is like you need to get your shit together and she's again trying so hard to be an adult you know and do what she thinks she's supposed to be doing because she cares and she's worried about her brother she thinks her parents would do yeah but she is still 17 (laughs) and doesn't quite you know she's not an expert on like how to deal with grief or how to deal with you know substance abuse and things like that because again she's just a kid and then back in the hall we see bonnie not so subtly staring at stefan as he turns around and then walks towards this moment (laughs) everybody in the hall turns and looks and bonnie follows him did you ever follow a vaguely handsome stranger no nobody was attractive enough for me to stop what i was doing and stare in the hallway because everybody is again a teenager so obviously everyone turns to look at stefan because he's the most attractive thing anybody's ever seen in mystic falls um and then it happens all of a sudden they run into each other elena and stefan yeah elena is like not looking where she's going because she's so busy rereading Eclipse and Stefan just snatches it out of her hands and he's like, Catherine, you're reading this again. Oh, pardon me. I, I... Bridget, Bridget, that's our that's our love story. Oh, oh, sorry, I got confused. So Elena comes out of the, me- the men's room and runs straight into Stefan and it was like I was 17 again. These fucking two. <laughs> Literally, my note says, because here's the thing. Paul Wesley smiles at me. I mean, Elena, and <laughs> everything's all right in the world. And I, I was it. ooey gooey so happy. I love that you just literally pointed out that Elena is like a surrogate for the audience that we can project ourselves onto yeah. so that we get to spend time with really hot uh, teenagers in quotes. <laughs> it is a very cute, meet cute, um, one that will be referenced later, obviously. But I have, I have a new take on this. Do you? 
Yes. Do you think so, he did it intentionally? I do. I think that side to side dance, because he has vampire reflexes. He knows which way she's going to go. He knows which way she's going to go before she even fully moves in that direction. Oh, the little the little sidestep is definitely intentional. I meant like the initial running into each other. I, it might be intentional, but I really hope it's not. I hope it's not too. But no, no, that but that moment where he's like, they're like, you know, body checking. Each oh, that's other. definitely intentional. He's a hundred percent doing that to be like, let me get your attention because he's for sure flirting with her. It makes me smile every single time. Paul Wesley gets me every time. Every time, I love Paul Wesley. Uh, obviously, the actor that plays Stefan. If I haven't made that clear. He's not just like a third character that's shown up in this scene. <laughs> He's the crow. Uh... Yeah, they've, they've gone to a thruple, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Paul the crow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then we go to history class, which has some important exposition, Nikki. I don't know if you noticed, because our setting is Mystic Falls in the state of Virginia. And Virginia, according to Mr. Tanner, joined the Confederacy in 1861, creating a tremendous amount of tension within the state. Apparently, people in Virginia's northwest region had different values than those from the deep south. Values like not owning and abusing people of color for free, I guess. So, Jesus. Virginia divided into two factions in 1863, and the northwest joined the Union. I just picture you taking notes about this class. It's amazing what you can learn with the subtitles on. I know. I was thinking this too. Um, but I was a little bit more distracted by the deep, deep tension of the teenage drama that you can feel from all of these people not paying attention to class. Oh, see, I was paying attention to the class, but I, this fascinating history lesson yeah. is drowned out by the silent love triangle forming between Matt, Stefan, and Elena. All the side eyes at each other. Uh, Matt's just fucking anger. Um, and most, most importantly, Bridget. Who the fuck spells haughty H capital in all caps H A W T hyphen E? What the actual screenwriters writing for teenagers? That was that. never a yes. thing. Nikki, I want to point out even beyond the haughty text. So on the haughty text, it says it's 9:39 a.m. September 7th, 2009. I looked it up. That was Monday, which was Labor Day. Why were they in school? <gasps> Ooh, plot mm-hmm. twist. That's a good point. <laughs> No, so point. it turns out that Virginia's Confederacy is not the only one that believes in free labor. These students are not observing Labor Day. But I do have to say, this is the moment as an adult, I watch this and I see Stefan, who's been hiding in the shadows for a hundred years. Um, in secret, alone in the world until now. Yeah. And now... He's a vampire. Is in love with a 17-year-old girl? We'll get into it in a little bit. I have more yeah. thoughts on this. but I, I do this too. Is, this yeah. is the first moment that I saw it, and I was like, yuck. <laughs> Obviously, as a teenager, I was like, oh. This is what we would call, like, eye-fucking someone, right? Just, like, staring yeah. at them intently. That It's not always, like, her, and her reaction is that she's very flattered. She's, like, wanting to look at him, too. Because she thinks he's 17. Yeah, but also, even if even if they were 17, it's kind of not okay to put that intense attention on someone that you've just met. It's like, I mean, you know, I get it, but... I mean, it is if you're... If it's reciprocated, yes. right? Like, yes. Like, then it's fine, you know? And I think we can't hold Paul Wesley accountable for the fact that he has a romance novel with Gaze <laughs> stare. You're killing me, yes. <laughs> um, which he does. Absolutely, he does, because those eyes get me every time. So, after school, um, Nina Dobrev is looking fantastic in her red peasant shirt. 
walk into the cemetery. I just, I love her entire outfit that I saw here as she's entering the cemetery. And then she accurately reports in her journal. And she says, I said, I'm fine, thanks. At least 37 times. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you owe us $37. A dollar in the I'm fine jar for every time. You got to practice the grimace. You know, and we did see it in almost every scene. So I think it's very astute of Elena to realize that people don't really want an answer when they say, how are you? And I think a lot of the time that's fair. But also, Elena, sometimes people really do care. And, you know, they just don't know how to deal with grief accurately. And I know it's hard when you're grieving because it sucks that you have to, like, hold space for other people's uncomfortable feelings with your uncomfortable feelings. But there are people who do really care and do handle grieving well if you open up to them. And, you know, those are the people that you can trust with how you're actually feeling and not just assume that they're asking you to perform your practiced grimace of anything. You know, there are people who don't see feelings as inconvenient. Yeah, and also, you know, it doesn't have to be done alone, right? You don't need to get better or feel fine on your own. And same with Jeremy. Um you know, yeah, why like, are these kids not in therapy? I don't understand. I don't know. They have a refrigerator door that is huge and could fit into a restaurant. I'm sure they have the means to get them into therapy. And it occurred to me that she's writing near her parents' grave as like a coping mechanism of not being able to tell them, like to go home and tell them how her day was. Yeah, this was another moment where I wish we got to see more of Nina be able to flex her acting muscles. It's easy to forget, like all of the characters in the show seem to forget that her parents just died. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think that it it easily and quickly gets replaced with the drama and tension. I know. Of what's to come. Um, And I think it would have been nice to get to kind of live in that moment a little bit longer. I agree. Because it's one of the most relatable problems in the whole dang show so far is, you know, them dealing with this real grief. And, you know, it probably would have been helpful to see some of that for people, for teens watching the show who may have lost a parent or a loved one, you know, to see some of the depth of them being not okay. Um, I know we see... We see it a little bit more with Jeremy, and it seems to kind of stick with Jeremy a little bit more. Um, whereas Elena, it seems to get kind of replaced by other drama that is to come. I agree. I think, it. you know, I would even actually draw a parallel, and I may be getting ahead of myself, but I would draw a parallel between how Jeremy is using um, drugs to cope with Elena using a love drug or like the infatuation, oxytocin kind of thing um, with Stefan to cope. But anyway, Elena is journaling away, and then she's like, wait, where'd that crow come from? Wait, where did all this dry ice come from? <laughs> and Paul Wesley the crow uh, shows up huh? on, I don't know why we call him <laughs> I don't know where that came He's from. He's going to be such an important character, he needs a name. <laughs> but you know, she's rightly afraid of this crow. I don't know if you know this, Nikki, but crows can be really vicious. They remember faces. They remember, like, I, I have... Um, a relative who scared away the crows in her yard kind of like viciously and they now attack her packages. I'm just saying maybe they should have been nicer to the crow because crows also, for the positive side of things, crows do remember faces and I think it's the same as ravens. If you treat them nicely, they will bring you shiny things. Will they do my hair in the morning like I'm Cinderella? No, no, they're too, uh, they're too goth for that. They'll bring you some like black lipstick. I'm down with that. Will they apply it for me? (laughs) look like a five-year-old did it (laughs) 
Anyway, Elena flees the graveyard. Um, she's like leaving because she's kind of freaked out by the crow. And then she turns over her shoulder and she sees the shadow of a man behind a gravestone with his hand casually in his pocket, which I do not care for, Nikki. I do not care for that. You know, anyone who's been followed or um, has the experience of being stalked um, would know the terror of this moment. Yeah, and I think especially, like, not to generalize, but I feel like especially women, you know the feeling of, like, not wanting to overreact, if some, but also, like, that kind of panic you get when you're like, oh, they've been behind me for a while. Yes. Like, are they following me? And then you're like, I don't run, but, like, do I walk quicker? Like... The amount of times, like, even just going to my car after work or whatever, yeah. and, like, it being in, like, the parking garage, and, mm-hmm. like, if, even if there's somebody just casually behind me, I will, like, take the steps, like, double step just to, like, get to my car faster. Right. And you have that moment of, like, even just, like, being in your car and you're just like, oh, thank God. Like, yeah. And, you know, there's a very good chance that they are just getting to their car that's also parked on the same level as you, but also... You gotta trust your gut. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of adrenaline, you know, I, I love what you're saying about, like, there's that juxtaposition of, like, it could be totally fine and normal, or it could be, like, moments before you're, like, kidnapped or what. I mean, we, our brains just go to, like, the worst. And I think that may be one of the reasons why Elena... I personally think she's gaslighting herself when she talks to Stefan about it. And like her first instinct is to be like, were you following me? And then he's like, no, I'm just here visiting family. And, and then she's like, Oh, tactless. Like, I'm sorry. The fog's making me foggy. And like, what? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like just because he wasn't the one following you doesn't mean that you were being followed. Like don't gaslight yourself out of this. Let him know. Say like, I think there was someone following me. If it wasn't you, like I'm, I'm freaked out right now. So, I know you and I had a little bit of a conversation about whether we think Stefan is actually visiting family or not. It's got an interesting double meaning, and I know that he doesn't know that Damon's in town, but literally his family is in the graveyard. Yes, absolutely. I also, like, he could be following her because, you know, he's yeah. trying to, I have to know her. But also, like, you know, he could also just be visiting the graveyard because... He does have family in Mystic Falls who passed away. Um, I honestly, it could go either way. I prefer if it is just kind of they do actually run into each other and he is actually visiting family because mm. uh, this is the moment of I did write like it's like I have family here and it's like Jesus, Elena, have some tact because like I I had a moment. So there's a really large graveyard uh, by where we live and it's beautiful. Oh my God, yes, and I think about this scene every yeah. time I pass by it. It's 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 very we're from new england it's like a old new england graveyard where it was meant to be a place to like visit and spend time and there's like a pond and like a lot of paths and things like that it's really huge and so you used to be able to bring your dogs there and you have them off leash so my mom and i and our dog abby we would go for a walk in this graveyard every single day and it was awesome it was so nice and like a lot of people would walk their dogs there there was a time I distinctly remember seeing some guy just there and I was like he doesn't have a dog that's so weird and it was like yeah he's probably fucking visiting family because it's a graveyard what the fuck are you doing (laughs) like yeah obviously (laughs) so just that moment of like why are you here 
it's like it's a fucking graveyard people are grieving family right. members and you're just like i so that moment of her being like what are you doing and then it'd be like i'm i'm visiting family i was like oh my god i've literally done this i think she's adorable when she starts to talk about like it was all very hitchcock for a second yeah. and then he just, just stares at her at like her. from my perspective i'm like he's looking at her like norman bates assessing a bird he wants to taxidermize but you know absolutely not i have we another perspective i have another e moment you know, she says, hey, we have history together. And he's like, and also other classes that the audience didn't get to see. English and French. <laughs> just so that we know that their day wasn't over at 9.39 and then she just went to the graveyard. There's kind of a double meaning of we have history together. Oh, OMG. Nikki, what a good read it. Yes. I also, uh, I didn't necessarily get that on my own. I watched somebody watch this for the first time and he has no idea. And he was like, oh, I wonder if that's like a real thing that they have like history together. And I was like. I was like, yeah, fucking yeah, it is. And then we see Chekhov's ugly ring. And in this moment, we're meant to think that he's the one who killed Brooke and Darren. Um, yes. And, you know, yes. I want to tell you, when, when he's like, um, when she's like, cool ring or whatever, and he's like, oh, it's weird, huh? That moment has new meaning for me because he's, Nikki, I don't know if you know this, but he's been living in secret, alone in the world, devoid yep. of the knowledge of fashion. So he, he doesn't know what's weird. And then... In the weirdest way possible, he's like, Did you hurt yourself? <laughs> Are you hurt? <laughs> yeah. The fuck? Yeah. And you know, I, I think it makes sense that she wouldn't, I think it makes sense that she wouldn't have noticed that she hurt herself because she had all that adrenaline. Yeah. Just yeah. Pumping. And it does make sense that he could have seen like her fall and been like, oh, when you fell, did you hurt yourself? True that. But the way he says it, it's like, I can smell your blood. Did you hurt yourself? I'm a vampire, been hiding in secret for a hundred years. And we get to see another fun vampire lore thing uh, with his eyes. We get to see the veins of his eyes start to pop out mm -hmm. as he too is feeling a little bit of adrenaline, getting a little bit of that bloodlust. He's like, you need to take care of that. And my guy dips and it's not weird at all. <laughs> and I literally have in my notes... Aren't you supposed to be used to living in the shadows? <laughs> but you're being so fucking conspicuous. Yeah. And later he's like, I lost control today. I'm simply not able to resist her. And I was like, oh, contraire, mon frere. Like, you left. My note for this is uh, when he's talking about resisting her, I said, again, she's a fucking teenager. Maybe try to resist. I'm shouting into a void here. This is actually a great moment for me to bring up some of the feminist texts that I uh, that I've been reading about vampires and uh, you know social things. Um, there's this great, I think it's by Rhonda Nichol, and it's an article called "Arrested Feminism," and they talk about how male sexuality is often like pathologized as being like inherently dangerous, which you know has a kernel of truth in it because it's like. The majority of people who are perpetrating rapes, at least that are reported, are male-bodied. Um, so there's this idea that, like, the teenage boy that is your peer is actually, like, more inherently dangerous than, like, a male-bodied vampire whose blood urge is, like, parallel to his sexual desire. But it's, like, so on the surface of, like, why he's dangerous that it actually makes him almost like the lesser threat because he's aware of it and he spent years being like I'm trying to deal with this I'm trying to curb it like you know he genuinely doesn't want to hurt her and that and that's what's on the surface so like in a weird way this article I just like love um what it said about you know 
it almost seems like the safer choice is the vampire, like, ironically, because he's so self-aware and, like, a teenage boy probably, you know, I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's problematic to view male sexuality as dangerous, and I get it, but, like, in this idea, the male vampire would be very attractive in that sense because he's got the maturity of all those years of practicing not hurting people on impulse. Yeah, and it's also, like, it's kind of, you know, if you were to hurt me, it would be for my blood. And he's not doing that, so he won't hurt me in other aspects. Yeah, well, or you could say, like, fangs are, like, a very phallic, <laughs> penetrative <laughs> metaphor. Invasive sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This reminds me of an anecdote. Shout out to our AP English class. Hell yeah. Our AP English teacher read Twilight, and she was, her summary of it was basically, you know, it was okay, but she understood why it was so popular and it's because it allows, you know, I'll use heteronormative ideas at this time, but allows young girls to, you know, be excited about this romance without any of, because you get to basically put yourself in Bella's shoes without any of the pressure of sexuality um, because of Edward can't be close to her physically so he's not going to do anything sexual. So they're able to, like, experience, like, the highs of a romance without any of the pressure. And also that she gets the safety of claiming her sexuality because it's like, you know, there's this idea that if women are, or again, yeah, speaking very heteronormatively, it's like, I'm, you know, claiming my sexuality and like, I want sex, that there's this idea in our culture that like, then she deserves to be hurt. Like, oh, she's putting herself in a situation to like be assaulted or, you know, to be hurt. And we won't get into any of the... She just has to get married first. Uh, Bullshit, because this is not a Twilight podcast. Right. This is not Twilight. But it's got similar, you know, that that kind of he's got the Edward Cullen, oh, I don't want to hurt you. Uh." Good. That should be a bare minimum, but we will see it is not for some of the men in this fucking show. Mm, We'll get there. Anyway, we see that Stefan has Elena's diary, which is a beautiful green moleskin with a little E engraved on it. I love it. I want that. I, I don't even have a name that begins with E, and I want that diary. <laughs> Next, we get to go to the grill. And is this our first time with the grill in Vampire Diaries? <gasps> I think it is. Oh, my God. I'm so hungry for a burger and fries right now. And we see more Vicky, and we see Matt and Tyler, who we see are good friends. Um, and Vicky's all like... Jeremy, I'm working, which I get. Like, he's her drug dealer, and she is working. And I honestly wish he had the same boundaries that she does about being at school. And be like, I'm sorry, I can't sell you drugs right now. I'm schooling, you know? Yeah, yeah, that whole relationship is toxic as fuck. Yeah, bad boundaries. Well, not not so much on Vicky's part. Vicky's just like, Vicky's actually being like, I'm working. Like, stop it. Yeah, <laughs> it, there's... I So, now might be a good time to get into some of the age things. I I had a little bit of, watching this as an adult, some weird feelings about this scene with Jeremy and Vicky, especially when she's like, I don't want anyone to know that I deflowered Jeremy, or Elena Gilbert's little brother, mm-hmm. and then he's like, end of flowered, end of flowered, and they're like, oh, we hooked up in like a drug haze or whatever. No teenager would ever use the word deflowered, just BTW? Yeah, it's weird. I didn't like the scene, but... My other concern is, so Vicky is Matt's older sister. So Matt is 17. Right. He, they're juniors. Six, yeah. yeah. 16, they're 17. Juniors. So Vicky is a senior. Yeah. So she's at least 17, potentially 18. Jeremy is either a freshman or a sophomore. 
So he's either 14 or 15, mm-hmm. maybe 16. I don't know if all high schools are like this internationally, but, you know, the age gap in American high schools. It's a weird group of ages to put together. 14, I know. sometimes 13 to 18, 19. People like need to like stay back. Like there's something about like, oh, you can date because you're in high school. But there's something really weird about like a freshman or even a sophomore with a senior. And there's a big developmental it, difference. Yeah. 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 And, you know, you and I had mentioned that, like, there's some weird power dynamics between her being older and more experienced mm-hmm. and also him being her drug dealer. Right. And he's going through grief. I don't know. The age difference here, it seems problematic to me at least just toxic (laughs) this whole relationship is just inappropriate she has more power in the dynamic with jeremy and it seems that tyler has more power in his dynamic with vicky right so there is there is like a love triangle and there's also like weird power dynamics at play and i want to say that jeremy essentially argues that vicky danny zuko'd him uh not that he would know the plot of greece but i think if he watched it he would relate to sandy um and but vicky here is giving him a loud and clear message to stop bothering her and um i actually think that's like really you know good for her she's not going to be manipulated by his puppy dog eyes um she's mm-hmm. actually being very upfront in a way that we don't see with elena and matt it's going to be interesting for me to see how i feel about vicky watching her as an adult because i hated vicky <laughs> i know she was my least favorite i was like okay when's this one gonna die please which is horrible for me to say now i'm like oh no yeah anyway and i still don't love vicky you know there's some moments when i'm just like oh my god vicky fuck off but like i do have more compassion for her um for sure and when we go over to um the booth where vicky is obviously like do you want a refill and there's so much subtext under the refill and matt's like please tell me you're not hooking up with my sister and you know what matt needs to do he needs to pass me a damn fry because i want one so bad (laughs) but in the meantime candace akala who is caroline in another lovely blue shirt which we come to find out is stefan's favorite color and they're planning a june wedding and oh my god and she got all her information between third and fourth period can someone hire caroline as my personal assistant please and thank you bridget would you say that uh stefan is a good representation of uh, gemini yes Mm -hmm. without spoilers i would would, would. (laughs) uh and it's 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 a fun bit of exposition too, right? We get to learn more about Stefan because of Caroline Forbes being the sleuth that she is. And then we go back to the Gilbert house and LOL at Aunt Jenna being a cool aunt and pretending to she she's like, oh, don't stay out late. Do her yeah, best. But I love her. I think she's amazing. I do too. So Elena walks over to the door. And who is at the door but Mr. Stefan Salvatore himself. And he's like How's your leg? And she's like, oh, it's fine. And she needs to put another dollar in the jar because I'm sure it's not fine. Yeah. And she's like, how did you find my house? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I just asked somebody. And I was like, okay, cool. We have no further questions. All right. Neat. And she's like, I get it. Blood makes you squeamish. And he's like, something like that. And we all chuckle. <laughs> Vampire humor. Yes, exactly. Obviously. And then when she's like, you keep a journal. And I'm like, no, he keeps a diary. It's called Vampire Diaries, you motherfuckers. But the way she says it, it's like, you like pizza? I like pizza. You you like puppies? I like puppies. <laughs> we have so much in common. Look, we, have a, we both have diaries. He says I didn't read it. And she's like, how come most people would? 
and he's like, well, I wouldn't want anyone to read mine. And it's like, nobody would know which one was the right one to read because you have 30,000 of them <laughs> about you sitting in a cave not doing anything. But he also is like, you know, memories are important. I would like everyone to keep note of this idea that Mr. Stefan Salvatore has said that uh, memories are important. And we learn through this scene that vampires can't enter without an invitation, which is what's implied when she's like, you don't have to stand out there. And it's like not a real invitation. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. for once, Stefan pulls an Elena and he's like, I'm fine, when he's clearly (laughs) not. (laughs) Yes. And she pops her head around the corner like, dude, that's what I say. That's my line. Yeah, excuse you. Excuse you. And, you know, early Stefan and Elena just melts my heart. I have three little hearts here. It just, there's something about them. It just gets me every time. And then we go back to the grill. And, um, damn, everyone is hounding Bonnie for information on Elena. I mean, that is exhausting. People, that is not her job to explain Elena's feelings. Although, you know, maybe if Elena opened up a little bit more authentically to the people in her life, people wouldn't be hounding Bonnie for information. And I think that it's Bonnie's an easier person for them to ask because she is so close to Elena. They don't want to necessarily upset her. But also, hey, Matt. Hey, Matt, it's been like four months. Maybe you can stop pouting and fuck off. Thanks. Then we enter into a Western movie where the new guy in town walks into the saloon and everyone stops and the music stops and they all look at him. And the music is so fucking good. The music in this scene, Bridget. Thinking it has the perfect. You. Yeah, it's like, because when I'm with him, I'm thinking of you. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Yes, the teenage <laughs> tension is everything I love about this show. And Matt looks at Stefan like, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. And he goes up and he introduces himself. And he's like, hey, I'm Matt. How bad do you think Matt tried to crush Stefan's hand in that handshake? Oh, he definitely did, and it didn't work. And yeah, because like, Stefan's hey. super strong, and it's just like, oh, okay, hi. He's like, yeah, you're a little intense for me, and I spent 100 years brooding. <laughs> and so the next thing we see is Bonnie, Elena, Caroline, and Stefan all at a table together. And they are grilling Stefan. Oh my god, and when they're like, parents? And he's like, my parents passed away. He like, stares at Elena. Yeah. And then I think Bonnie notices that moment, but she notices in like an, oh, weird that he knows that about Elena already and is like, relating it back to her, but you know, maybe she rationalizes it as yeah. like, he's probably heard about it at, at school, but then Caroline is oblivious and is just like, okay, so back to you and me connecting, Stefan. Uh. But Bonnie <laughs> plays good wing woman. Stefan asks if Elena's going to the party, and Bonnie says, of course she is. And I'm like, of course she is. It's a fucking Mystic Falls party. Um, They're obligatory. You you don't go, you get stoned in the streets. And then back at the Salvatore house, we have Stefan putting his shirt on. First shirtless man in the series. One tally. And he's like, oh, hey, Zach, I was just changing my shirt. What's what in the newspaper? I did not kill them. I did not. I did not. Thank you very much. That is Tommy Wiseau auditioning for Stefan Salvatore. This is my favorite scene in the pilot. Really? Not him talking about the newspaper, but the (laughs) running up the hill kicks in and we see Stefan open his wardrobe and we see all of the diaries for the past hundred years filled with nothing but caves. But he, but like, it's so cool to me. Like, it's so fucking cool. This idea that he has these memories for all this time. It's these things that I love about vampires Mm. and the music is so perfectly placed with this moment. And then we see in one of his diaries, 
a photo of a woman named Catherine in 1864, and boy, and oh boy, does she look like Elena. What? Wonder what that's about. But I love this scene. I love it so much. Yeah, it it's just, a good one. for me, is perfect. Mm. Especially him being shirtless the, at the top. It's just... <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go back to... Ah, we don't objectify people. <laughs> He's got such a good back, though. <laughs> and then we go back to history class. You know, I oh. really don't appreciate Mr. Tanner calling Bonnie dumb and cute in the same breath. Both are inappropriate. Yeah. Oh, everything about Mr. Tanner is fucking inappropriate. Yeah, but Matt doesn't get the same flack that she does. No, but Matt's a jock. But also... You know, he's like, blah, blah, embedded jock stereotype. And Matt's like, I'm cool with it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, because jocks are cool in the football and sports go sports. I will say this is the one moment in the pilot when I'm like, that was kind of a fun line, Matt. Look at you not brooding for a minute. But fucking Mr. Tanner can go fuck himself. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff wrong with him. I mean, you know, the right way to deal with this would be to ask Elena to stay after class and to say, hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm noticing that you may be a little bit disengaged in class. And, uh, you know, are you getting help? Do you need tutoring? You know, here are some resources. Public humiliation is not even like a tough love approach it's actually sociopathic i think also maybe not on the moment when it's a question that two other people also didn't get how many people what's the casualty numbers we didn't have to memorize that did you no but mystic falls is a weird place with weird history that everybody needs to know because they need to go to future parties in town that are obligatory because again you have to go to these parties. And a lot of them revolve around the history of Mystic Falls. Convenient for our exposition. Right. Let's call this Chekhov's civilian body count. <laughs> and Stefan to the rescue in the one of the most satisfying fucking moments in the pilot. He corrects Mr. Tanner and he tells him that there are archives if he wants to brush up on his facts. This is for me, as someone who is not enamored of, of Stefan as much as perhaps you are, what? <laughs> this is the first moment where I was like, okay, I like this person. Like, I see him standing up for someone who is obviously being bullied and, um, you know, just, just that dry, dry Stefan humor. I really like that. And I love when um, Mr. Tanner is like, any relation to the founders of Mystic Falls, like the Salvatore family? And Stefan's his voice like breaks a little bit on distant. And we all chuckle at the vampire humor. So then we go to the party. The first party of the Vampire Diaries. The back to schools thing at the falls. Fires are alight. The falls are a-flowing. Two people with the same haircut are sucking on each other's faces. And there is so much underage drinking. What I find a little bit unrealistic is in this small town that they can get away with the whole high school being in this park, having a whole fucking party. And then it sounds like it happens every year. <laughs> it's again one of those times where the writers want their, their teenagers to be in college, but they yes. just make them in high school. Yes, absolutely. And we get the first mention of the romance novel stare. Hell yeah, we do. We get this great moment. You can't see Nikki, but she just threw her hands up in the air. She is so excited. It's great. <laughs> Stefan, we can see another vampire thing. We can we find out that he has great hearing. Yes, super senses, which makes sense. Get uh, ah. He's listening in to try to find Elena. And he hears Elena and Bonnie talking about him, where Elena says that he is kind of pretty. 
and Bonnie talks mm-hmm. about his romance novel stare and he gets a little smile and it's really great because it's like a moment that you see him you know where he's not in front of anybody so you can see that he genuinely does like that like he genuinely is like trying to flirt with her and it's not just like a thing he's doing and caroline interrupts yeah my girl caroline peer pressures stefano to get a drink that he really clearly doesn't want um and the drink is a metaphor (laughs) yes and then uh elena and bonnie do a little um psychic test you know we see bonnie being super excited that elena remembered the psychic thing she's like right you know because oh you do listen to me okay um she obviously cares about her ancestry i think even though elena is still kind of like you're the psychic one and she's like joking but bonnie's like i saw a man i saw a crow named paul i saw a dry ice machine surrounding you and this is an excellent opportunity for elena to tell her friend that she thinks she was stalked we have bonnie now gaslighting herself about that vision because Elena isn't like, yeah, that happened to me earlier. Instead, Bonnie's just like looking at her and Elena is speechless. And she's like, you know, I'm drunk. It's the drinking. And she pushes it away. And she's like, there's nothing psychic about it. And Elena doesn't correct her. Help your friend. Help her help you. There is a lot of that in this episode of Elena is trying to deal with all of this on her own, which is a very human thing to do. Um, And I think that in that moment, she's, probably very overwhelmed you know she already was trying to be like this was nothing this wasn't a thing and then there's a little bit of shock of like oh maybe this was a thing that's true and she does try to call her back she's like bonnie and yeah you're right but as bonnie leaves um to just go you know go off on her own um stefan shows up and it's like oh i did it again i just fucking appeared out of nowhere yep yes yes absolutely what are you fucking batman and this time i agree with you paul wesley is like hi and it's hilarious and it's so cute (laughs) he's so cute and uh elena is concerned about bonnie but in this moment she in a similar way to what you're saying about you know seven being a little bit of like a drug for elena she decides to instead of being worried and concerned to focus on stefan and she's like you know it doesn't matter you're here and they smile at each other, and I go, eee! So then we see, you know, Tyler and Vicky sneak off, and we notice that Jeremy notices them sneak off. Um, and then we go to Stefan and Elena chatting, and they're cute as always, in my opinion. Where he says that she's twinged in sadness, and I love that because that's very old vampire-y. You know, it's like, yes, say the things that are weird, you know? I love that because he doesn't know. He's been alone hiding in the shadows in secret for centuries until now. and uh, it, But instead of noticing that, Elena is all self-obsessed and she's like, oh, I have to seem fine. What makes you think I'm sad? It's not like my mom and dad died horribly four months ago and I have survivor's guilt. Not at all. What are you talking about, Stefan? And again, I, again, I just... Nina Dobrev can do so much better than this moment. This moment of her explaining what happened is so like, yeah, and then my parents, they died and like... So that's it. That's my story. And it's like... But when she looks back at him, I actually wrote down that I, I thought that was a great acting moment where she she looks twinged in sadness in that moment without overdoing it. Mm. I it, it was lacking for me. Okay. <laughs> just that look. Just that silent look. It was so... Yeah. But you know, I also want to note that this is a pilot. And when you're a series regular, you have to have somewhere to go with mm. your journey. So if she's, if she's like putting all of her juice into this scene her crying juice or her you know melancholy then it gives her less of a season arc 
What are you talking about? Elena is going to be happy from now on. That's what Right. Yes, because Bonnie, Bonnie said, said so. Yeah. Yes, yes, yep. yes, yes, yep. yes. Yep. Yep. I, I really hate Stefan's response in this scene to her grief. He says, you won't be sad forever. I see her putting her I'm fine face back on when he says that. Really? I Yeah. She's like, mm-hmm. And, and I just think that like she really opened up to him just now. And he's like, you won't be sad forever, Elena. And I see it in her face that she's like, she needs to know that it's okay how she's feeling now. Yeah, that's interesting. Not that it's going to end at some point. Like, because also you don't go back to normal when you suffer a big loss like that. It's not that you, yeah, you don't stay sad forever, but it's always going to be a poignant thing. Like, and life changes and you change and this girl should be in therapy. And I know. God. It's interesting that you read it that way because I didn't. I read it as like, for her, it's, like, kind of hopeful because he has gone through a similar thing in her eyes. I wish he had said something like, it won't always be this hard or something. Just I just wish it was different words. But, yeah, I, I respect that. Like, she, I forgot that she does see him as someone, like, who lost his parents. But his, are, his is centuries ago and he's a vampire. It's yeah, but different. she doesn't know that. But she doesn't know that. Yeah. And then we go to, I don't even know how to begin to talk about this. I just want to say that I think that that the actor is portraying um, Tyler and Vicky do a great job of escalating this realistically. Um, oh, but it just sucks because she seems like she's into some of the stuff that's happening at the beginning. Like she she's digging the like neck kissing stuff. And then just something happens that makes her start to vocalize. And again, I want to say I really appreciate Vicky being straight up with her boundaries. She just says it. And I just have so much respect for Vicky here because when I was a 17 year old girl, I... I did not pick up on this scene, I don't think. Um, and this time around, you know, this person who was genuinely my least favorite character, I passed a lot of judgment on her, to be honest. Um, I even thought that she had poor judgment as a character because she was picking Tyler over Jeremy. And it actually hurts me to think that I once thought that because as women, I think this behavior is modeled where we're supposed to internalize our own blame for like what happens to us maybe or you know, for bad consequences that happen because of your choice in a male partner or like because of your choice to have sex or like if you enjoy it at all, then that means that you're consenting to everything. And um, anyway, it just it escalates in a really scary way. And Vicky continues to vocalize, you're hurting me. Um, and she repeatedly says no and gets more and more emotionally distressed. And, you know, she's physically taking his hands off of her and like trying to push him away. And I am so relieved when Jeremy shows up in this moment. Fucking Tyler has to get in another dig. Oh, Vicky Donovan, uh, that's a first. Vicky Donovan says no. Um, to which I'd like to say, Tyler, go fuck yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And what a fucking asshole. And this is why the movement um, has gone from no means no to yes means yes. You know, it's like, because this really shows that where someone should value your yes as much as they value your no. That, like, when you are consenting to something, that that is actually, like, a very precious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, it, like, she's doubly hurt, right? Because she's physically hurting. And now she's probably emotionally trying to process, like, oh, like, all those times that I did enjoy, you know, like, the physical chemistry or this dynamic with him. It's it's not like she didn't enjoy some of the stuff that was happening before, but it's like it seems like this is a new thing in their relationship that she is seeing the side of him for the first time. But he's blaming her and saying, like, this is the first time you're saying no. But, it's your fault. you know, it's but it's it's important to realize that, like, th- just because she's now saying no to something for the first time doesn't mean that, like, it it's, it's not on her. No, it's not at all. And again, it's it's another moment of 
we're not only going to, you know, shame her for saying no, you're also going to slut shame her because she said yes so many times. We get some moments of getting to learn a little bit more about what is going through Vicky's head. Yeah, it's clear um, that she has some abandonment trust yeah. stuff. Because Jeremy says, you know, he only wants you for your ass or whatever. Or what is that the earlier moment? And she's like, you're worse. Yeah. She, she thinks it's actually worse for someone to, you know. You want to get to know me. Right. Which and then throw me away. Is more vulnerable. Yeah. Right, right. And, you know, it's interesting here. I... I know that Vicky's like, I can look out for myself. Like, I don't need your help. Um, and and she's fully entitled to that feeling that. But, like, I am personally just really grateful for this moment of allyship from Jeremy. If there's anything, you know, that I can say for people who <laughs> are like, I don't know what it looks like to be an ally. It's like, well, if you're ever aware that someone vulnerable is, like, being taken advantage of... If it's available to you to step in, like, th- then that's one way. Like, I actually, I have a, a male friend from college who, um, we were at this big party, and uh, a female classmate of ours was being pushed into a room by a guy that she was really uncomfortable with, and she said to me later that she was screaming for me to hear her. And fortunately, our male classmate saw and went and intervened and helped her. And, like, I have been for, forever grateful for that. And so... Yeah. I personally don't think that there's anything wrong with Jeremy intervening in this moment. I, you know, yeah, it may be weird that he's like following her around and there's like a weird power dynamic there. But like, this is a separate moment to me. Like, I am grateful that he helped her. Yeah, I think for Jeremy, there's a little bit of like, I think part of him following them is because, you know, he doesn't, he's jealous. But I do think and hope that part of it is just straight up not fucking trusting Tyler. And how disappointing and hurtful for Vicky to find out what Tyler's capable of. And she actually tries to justify. She's like, he was just drunk. But that makes me want to be like, girl, that's what he's going to say about you if you ever tell anyone about this. Like, he's going to justify his behavior by saying that you were so drunk instead of her defending him and saying, oh, he was just drunk. And I think that's an interesting parallel. But in this moment also... Vicky probably is not able to process what just happened. And I want to say that it kind of sucks that Tyler is portrayed by an actor of color, uh, Michael Trevino, who I looked it up and he's of um, Mexican and Mexican-American descent. And, you know, I'm not sure that Tyler is specifically portrayed as being Latinx um, or ever if that's ever referenced um, like with his family. But there is something kind of damaging, I think, about seeing a man of color portraying someone who is capable of like sexually assaulting the girl that he's dating. And I think that's a dangerous stereotype. And this scene just kind of to put it gently, it does not help with that, especially because he's the only man of color in the cast so far, I think. Um, And it's, it's just, it's really too bad that they gave Bonnie the transphobic comments and they give Tyler the, you know, the sexual assault in this episode. It's like shunting bad behavior of like victimizing other groups, whether like physically or verbally, and they're putting it off onto our BIPOC characters. Um, and they come from backgrounds where they themselves are probably more likely to be oppressed, not the other way around. Right. But I mean, and that's, that's not to say that like certain folks can't perpetrate violence or ignorance. I mean, everyone's capable of that. I just think it's it's a weird imbalance that the characters' actions are aligning with the fact that like there are only two BIPOC core cast right. characters. And that's really not cool. So 
we're gonna move on um so back to elena and stefan um i think it's funny how stefan notices that matt can't keep his norman baby eyes off of elena and the moment when he's like it was when she's like it wasn't and he goes passionate and it makes me cringe so i was hard. like oh they finish each other's sandwiches Ugh. it's the the idea of 17 year olds talking about how passionate the relationship was or wasn't is so cringy to me also i think that's wrong like i don't think that's why she broke up with him it, oh i was grieving and i needed something passionate like no yeah. probably matt doesn't have we've seen he doesn't have the emotional vocabulary for dealing with this i think that's really the reason i think that were her parents not to have died with were this was this turn if this traumatic thing hadn't happened that that would have been what ran the course is she would have realized now we are just friends there is no romantic passion here but i think that this big event happening to elena really escalated the ending of this relationship when stefan's eyes go all like vampire he uses are you thirsty as a diversion because his eyes are going all thirsty. There are so many levels to that. The thirst is a metaphor for sexual desire, for literal blood drinking, for the solo cups of beer that he's about to refill. Um, but so Stefan leaves because he needs to get it together. Fucking get a grip. We go back to Vicky, who's walking alone in the woods, trying to process what just happened. And she's like, Jeremy, is that you running all the damn dry ice machines? That's not funny. And it's, it's, it's probably the fact that I know what Mystic Falls is about and what it will continue to be about. But walking alone in the woods in Mystic Falls is never a good idea. In an ideal world, she would be able to walk wherever the fuck she wanted. But she's in, you know, process alone. But she is attacked and she just, it, she leans out of frame in this awful moment where the sound, it's the sound of bones breaking. Um, no lion roar this time. It's just somehow so much worse. And then we cut from that. Nobody knows yet that Vicky's been attacked. Yeah, to... back to the party. And, you know, Matt is all like, Elena's Elena. looking. Yeah. And, um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Hang on a second, Nikki. There's uh, there's someone at my door. Oh, Be okay. right back. Yeah. Hey, so weird. That was the mailman. And he had a letter addressed to you. But it, oh, okay. it arrived at my house and from Mystic Falls. Oh, you know, I know it's technically illegal to open someone else's mail, so do I have do I have your consent? Yes, you have you have my consent to open my mail, yeah. It's from a young man named Matt Donovan. Put on your best Matt voice, please. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Gotta get a little bro. -y. Dear Nikki. God, I hate it. <laughs> my girlfriend and I broke up a couple months ago and her parents passed away. She said she needed to be alone. It sucked, but she was grieving, and I understood. But now she's been hanging out with someone new. What do I do? I don't want to give up on the relationship, Matt. Dear Matt, I know I've been hard on you in this episode, and I want to say that you are completely entitled to feel sad and angry and jealous and disappointed about what's going on. You're completely entitled to those feelings, especially in this relationship where you were friends with this person, you became romantic, and... You know, you will not be the only one guilty of thinking that Elena is the center of the universe. There will be a few other characters that will probably have that happen. She is our protagonist for a reason. So you're entitled to feel upset, but what you're not going to do, and what I would really have you not do, is to not take Elena's words and make it seem like she's lying. 
You know, Elena probably meant what she said when she said that she needed time to be alone. She went through a very traumatic event and she probably needed time to deal with that and actually grieve, you know? And the fact that she's seeing this new person, it doesn't invalidate what she told you in the beginning. It might be something about this new person that allows her to be this new version of herself that she needs to be, um, where she's not with somebody who expects her either consciously or subconsciously to act the way she used to act. What I would say you should do is you clearly care about this person. You were friends for a long time. So think about what you actually like about the relationship you have with them. And is it actually the romantic aspects or is it the fact that you miss your friend? And I think that you will realize that you two can be very good friends and still get a lot out of having this relationship, just maybe not a romantic one. So I would recommend that you respect her space that she has asked for and has not indicated to you that she's ready to give up on. And, you know, maybe take some you time and realize where you are and focusing on yourself. Um but yeah, start by getting rid of that embedded jock stereotype. Right. Yes. Start paying attention to history class. Um, maybe find a better friend who isn't Tyler. But also, Ugh. like, remember that, like, Elena Gilbert is still one of your best friends, you know? And you do care about her. Um, and, you don't know, she might still need you as a good friend and maybe not a boyfriend. And that's okay. And, you know, you, I'm sure, will be fine. Um so that's what I would recommend you do, Mr. Matt, Maddie, Matthew, Donovan. Sincerely, Nikki. Nikki, I think that was so well said. What I saw from Matt in the scene was that he, like, bailed on being vulnerable in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like, he was just like, I have feelings, mic drop, and then, like, didn't let her respond. And I think that that's a really important thing to do if you're going to literally open up a dialogue and be like... Like, because I actually think he was doing pretty well when he was like, when we broke up, you said this. And now to me, it doesn't seem like that's happening anymore. And, it, but when he says, I still believe in us and I, I'm not giving up on this. No, that would be the moment to be like, can you let me in a little bit about what's going on? I'm, I'm feeling confused. I would still really like to be in this relationship and I want to know where you're at. Yes. Cause I think for him, he saw, he saw it very much as a break versus a breakup. Right. Which it may have been. Like, she may have said that, but it doesn't sound yeah. like um, she promised him anything. You know what I mean? And so I just think it's shitty that he's like, well, and it's it's actually very realistic of a teenage boy to be like, I'm going to start to open up and be vulnerable. And also, bye. <laughs> I'm going to bail in the middle I of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then we go over to Stefan and Caroline and he's turning her down. And he lets her down. I know, but I love the moment when he's like, you've been drinking. And she's like, well, of course I have. <laughs> like, I just yeah, love her. obviously. Uh, but I, you know what? It, now, that here is where we get the you and me, it's not going to happen, which we wish had just been what was said with Elena and Matt. <laughs> right. Yes. I hate how Stefan and Elena talk about Caroline. I do, too. It goes back to my they did Caroline dirty in how the characters are treating Caroline in this first episode. Yeah, and he's like, is she like this with all the guys? I'm like, she's allowed to have a crush, dude. You mean she's doing what Elena's doing, but it's just different? Yeah. Exactly. And that, again, gets interrupted by Jeremy. And Stefan offers to help with Jeremy, which is actually another moment where I was like, oh, good guy. 
Well, he has some history with some problematic, troubling brothers. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> and, you know, Elena's like, you don't want to see this because she's going to be big sister, pain in the ass. It mirrors their bathroom escapade right. that they had earlier where Elena follows Jeremy into the woods as she sees him drunkenly stumble off. This time she actually has a reason sure. to believe yes. that something. But up. again, she is also at a party where everybody, she is also drinking underage. Yeah, true that. Unfortunately, Jeremy stumbles and he lands right on Vicky, who has a bite mark on her neck. That gasp that she does when she wakes up is truly terrifying. I mean, claps for Kayla Yule, who played uh, Vicky. Oh, man. Jeremy carries her out of the woods. You know, they yell for help. Matt, Elena, and Jeremy are all, like, surrounding her, and Tyler is upset and actually asks people to, like, give her space. Um, so we see that he he's complicated. He's a complicated person. Um, and Stefan watches, like, Norman Bates from the crowd. And in this moment, Nikki, I want to say, Matt looks up like he notices. I think this would have worked better if Bonnie had been the one to notice Stefan leaving. Yes, I agree. But, yep, so Stefan backs out and he runs home where he tells Zach that there was an attack and he didn't do it. He runs upstairs and, ladies and gentlemen, Damon Salvatore has entered the picture. Hello, brother. Iconic. Iconic, perfect first line of any character ever. Twitchy, smiley, half-face smile. <laughs> Cut to commercial. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the music effects of, of them looking at each other. I wish that when I looked at you, there was a music effect. So Damon and Stefan chat. And he says, uh, he says, the crow is a bit much. Aren't you thinking? Damon says, yeah, wait till you see what I can do with the fog. To which I say, yes, I'm sure we will see plenty of what you can do with the fog and the crow going all along in the series. I'm sure that will be a thing that you use all the time. I think Damon is taking too much credit for Crow Paul Wesley's work. Oh, absolutely. That's why he doesn't show up anymore. He flies off to be with Brooke. Yeah, because they didn't appreciate him. Stefan tells Damon, you know, you left that girl alive, which is an interesting um, perspective for Stefan that we see a little bit of um, that like vampire apathy towards life. You know, we know Stefan cares about people staying alive and he's a more caring person, but he still, it seems, would rather Vicky have been dead versus alive and potentially knowing about vampires. Yeah, it seems like he only cares about Elena staying alive. In this moment, it does seem that way. And Damon, being the perfect son of a bitch that he is, is, you know, yeah, that, that would be making things difficult for you. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why we love this show. Can you feel the tension? And, you know, Ian Somerhalder is such a great... His acting really stands out here. I think he brings so much quirk and so much specificity to this character in a way it's very he throws away lines in a way that we don't really see typical cw actors doing you know where he has something other than the sort of typical reaction to things and i also want to point out that when stefan says what are you doing here you hate small towns you're bored there's nothing for you to do i don't think stefan's being fair here demons had a bunch of fun in this episode stalking people training crows hiding dry ice machines all over town standing in the middle of the road waiting for cars to hit him while he's just building up that appetite you know i think he's having a grand old time he does say that he's been keeping busy <laughs> you know and we've certainly yeah, seen he has that. a schedule but i think that you're right that damon and ian summerholder's damon they add a levity to this show and they add this 
sarcastic comedic humor and this dark humor that this show desperately needs. I think watching the pilot, you realize, like, the show's fine before Damon comes in. When Damon comes in, now all of a sudden, we got a party going on. Yeah, we go from, like, it's that moment in The Wizard of Oz when you're, like, in black and white, and then all of a sudden everything's in color. Because we know that these characters are broody and dramatic, but now we have a character that's going to call it out for us and be like, mm-hmm. mm, you're so broody. And that's fun. And he's a vampire who we can see likes being a vampire, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's fun. Like, there's a part of it that's like, yeah, it's, he's definitely dark and he's hurting people and killing people. But also, yeah, he's a vampire. Yeah, and we're watching this show for the vampires. It's in the title. And uh, back to the party, they've called the Animal Control Unit. All right. Um, mm. Matt goes with Vicky to the hospital and we go over to Bonnie and Elena. Bonnie shows up, you know, with a new gravitas that we haven't seen from Bonnie yet. And, you know, I know she's still downplaying the whole psychic thing. And she says, there's no way I'm psychic, but whatever I saw is just the beginning. And I think that she's owning here that she had a vision and that she has a really strong intuition and that she should be sharing it and trusting it we see that moment you know where she's like this isn't a thing but like it's definitely a thing and like i have a bad feeling about it and we pop back to the salvatore house with damon and stefan talking and damon uh you know she's a dead ringer for catherine so we find out that damon too knows about catherine stefan's all like she's not catherine i know i body checked her in front of the boys bathroom in which Damon says, let's hope not, which again is, there's so much tension and interest around Catherine, Ooh. you know, like who was this person? Foreboding. And they both seem to know them. I know. And Damon saying, you know, let's hope it's not Catherine is fascinating. And we learn a little bit about Stefan's diet when Damon makes fun of him and says, when's the last time you eat anything stronger than a squirrel? So we learn that Stefan does not drink human blood. Right. Another example of how he's trying to mitigate the inherent dangerousness of what he is in his body. Um, And, you know, Nikki, I have a question for you. If you found a person who looked exactly like your ex, wouldn't you avoid them at, like, all costs? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I would. If it was, like, a... uh, So it was, like, a hundred years ago, plus or minus, um, and I find them, I would probably have literally no reason to approach them and be like absolutely fucking not but i'm not the salvatore brothers and they have some issues it's clearly because damon starts taunting stefan by like hitting him and being like don't you crave a little and it feels very parallel to the drug yeah. situation and he's like come on let's go do h or whatever i don't know um and i love the moment where damon says imagine what her blood tastes like and stefan turns and obviously does just that where he's like Okay, yes, just a minute. Let me uh, turn to a private corner of the rooms I fantasize about. Yeah, Selena's blood. <laughs> Makes the veins in my eyes go crazy. And Stefan attacks Damon. Proud of them for taking the window. That's much more interesting. And they end up in the front lawn. And we see Stefan feels that fall versus Damon, who's still on his feet. And we get, again, some more levity mm-hmm. from Damon of, you know, that was great with the ah and the face <laughs> and the everything. Like, he's making yeah. fun of him. And to him, this is a joy. Like, Stefan is so serious. And for Damon, this is the highlight of his day. And the highlight of my day. (laughs) And Stefan asks him why he's doing all this. And Damon says that he promised him an eternity of misery. Yeah. wonder what that's about. It's an amazing little nugget of what the fuck is this relationship all about? What are you, what could Stefan possibly have done to 
make his brother think that he's going to give him an eternity of misery. And then Damon makes the scariest face ever after offering uh, Stefan back the the ring, which we think that, you know, we're like, oh, shit, is he like going to keep that ring? And he doesn't. But then he follows up by, you know, making a supremely scarier face and, uh, you know, throwing Stefan away and just being like, you know, he's obviously got the power here. And I love that there's something very powerful about someone who doesn't care. Yep. You know, when he when he's just like, oh, I think we woke Zach up. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. <laughs> like that. I have a really important question for you, Bridget. Yeah. Um, how the fuck did Damon get in the house? Maybe Crow Paul Wesley invited him in. <laughs> I just think that it was an oversight on their part. I mean, Zach in and of himself, I'm like, who is this person? How are they actually related to someone who is still a living descendant? How are, I mean, I know he calls him Uncle Stefan, but I'm like, what? I don't know. Yeah. Logistical questions that I did not care about when I was a teenager watching this show. And we cut back to the party and we see Elena and Jeremy talking and, um, oh, wait, um, hey, Bridget. Yeah. Um, have I always had a weird vortex in my room or is this new? Oh, no. Is it made of fog? Hang on. Let me see real quick. Okay. Be careful. Oh, okay. I guess we have another letter. What? Uh, uh, this is also for Mystic Falls, but it's addressed to you. Oh, goody. I wonder why we're getting each other's mail. I mean, people do think we look I alike. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. This one seems to have much better handwriting than the one that you showed me. Oh, cool. Um, and the does it look like vampire handwriting? Right. No, it looks like a girl who's really used to saying that she's fine. It says, Dear Bridget, Since our parents' death this past summer, my younger brother is abusing drugs and alcohol. He's showing up high to school, and I'm worried about him. I bar- barely recognize him anymore. Our aunt is still getting used to the fact that she has to raise us now, but she's so busy, I don't know if she's even noticed his behavior is getting worse. How do I get my brother to stop his self-destructive behavior and just talk to me about his feelings? I know he's hurting. I am too. Sincerely, Elena. Dear Elena, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss and what your brother and yourself um, are going through. I want you to know that there's really nothing you can do to make your brother cope differently. I mean, definitely talk to your aunt and tell her your concerns. She is the adult here and she's responsible for the next steps, you know, whether that includes rehab or some kind of treatment. But you could even talk to a counselor at school or find resources that might be able to help him. But you really can't force him to accept the help. And what you can do and what I want to see you do is invest in your own processing of this grief. You know, how are you coping? Because it sounds to me like you might be coping by taking on the role of your parents in an attempt to mother your little brother, and that's not your role. And ultimately, you know, that's not going to help you heal from their absence, and it'll actually make him resent you. I mean, of course, you can still level with him about, you know, being concerned, wanting to connect, and you can leave yourself available to him. Be honest about your feelings of grief, Instead of asking him to open up to you first, just be a soft place for him to land. Don't attempt to ruin his buzz or search his room for stuff or try to control him because that's not going to work. That will make you crazy and distract you from the self-care and the therapy that you need um, to get through this time in a healthy way. And that's really my two cents, girl. You can love him up and you can want him to be better. But at the end of the day, you can't control him. You can only control you. Yeah, I think that that's... The, the advice that Elena needs to hear 
um, in this moment. Elaine is not the right person for Jeremy to be talking to in this tone. Um, and Jeremy calls her on it, right? Like, she's only a year older than him. They've both gone through this tragedy. And he's also saying, you know, like, you you keep telling me to move on, but, like, you are not doing that. Something else I want to note about this scene, Nikki, is that I performed this scene as part of my senior showcase. Um, and I oh, stitched really? it together with that scene in the bathroom. It gives me chills. Th- this whole scenario, actually, it feels like one of the more grounded relationships to me in the whole pilot. Um, because it's a very real dynamic that a lot of people deal with. And, you know, actually we added a line at the end where she says, you know, she says mom and dad wouldn't have wanted this. We added it where Jeremy said, yeah, there's a lot of things they wouldn't have wanted. Yeah. But yeah, back back to the grill. Yeah. My favorite place. Get me a milkshake. Get me some fries. We're definitely getting into the end of the show or the end of this episode with, you know, the music kind of kicking in. But we see Bonnie and Caroline talking. Bonnie's trying to sober up Caroline. Um, <laughs> she's get her back home and get herself back home. I think it's so funny when she's like, are you sober yet? And then Caroline, she like perks up and she takes a deep breath and then she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I love this moment of Caroline so much. You know, yeah. it's so relatable where she's like you know how come he picks her you know she doesn't try it's caroline telling the audience who she is and it's very honest true and candace ackla is a fantastic actor i mean obviously she's just like she's killing it here and i I just want to point out it's an interesting dynamic that bonnie says at the beginning of the scene um you know hurry up (laughs) like i have to get you home i have to get me home bonnie is caretaking for a lot of people in this episode and she's caretaking for caroline here and i actually really <laughs> i appreciate when caroline's like why do the guys that i want never want me and bonnie says i'm not touching that like i actually yeah. think that's good boundaries bonnie says you know it's not a competition caroline and her response is yeah it is and i love the sincerity with which she says that she's not like she's not coming from a malicious place no. she's genuinely like yes and i see her vulnerability i see her wanting to be loved and paid attention to it it tracks it definitely does and it's so real and like you said it's not malicious at all it's not like she doesn't like elena in that moment you know what i mean she loves elena but for her it's like she can't keep up with her you know it just breaks my heart i love caroline so we we go to the hospital where matt is really concerned about vicky it's it's the one time that i'm like oh good you're you you're doing something not inherently shitty your intense gaze is over concern and vicky wakes up and just the small tear and the way she whispers vampire it has an extra mm-hmm. syllable and it's really hard to understand if you don't already know what she's gonna say and you don't have subtitles on and matt looks at her like yes it is fucking vampires <laughs> Versus being like, oh, she's just full of drugs. He's the guy that didn't know that she was hooking up with his best friend earlier in the episode. No. Matt doesn't know anything. Matt's not solving any riddles no. uh, in his free time. No, 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 no. And then um, we get to hear Stefan and Elena do like a dual diary entry. Does this work for you? It kind of doesn't so, work for me. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it doesn't work for me. The first one worked for me because they're not right. finishing each other's sentences. Exactly. They're not finishing each other's sandwiches again. God. Yes. This one's a... I do... I would have liked it more if they weren't like verbatim saying the same thing. I like this idea that they're both in their own way saying the same thing i just wish they weren't literally saying the same thing but you know what i'm glad to hear that she's learned her lesson about not faking your way through recovering from grief 
And I also want to point out that this is the third time that she has journaled today. Girl's journaling a lot. Maybe she should talk to the people in her life. Just saying. And I'm sure that the journaling and the diaries will be a thing that we continue through the whole series and it won't be something that's really just mentioned in season one. Maybe at some point we'll get to hear about how Crow Paul Wesley feels. Or, or, or about Brooke. Brooke will write down in her diary about all of her adventures flying around the world. I know. That would be beautiful. That would be beautiful. But paralleling this diary entry and talking about pain and moving forward, we see Jeremy alone looking at photos of his parents. Oh, this and killed me. Jenna notices that he's doing it. She doesn't say anything. But it shows us that, you know, Jeremy's not just this kid that's, you know, fucking up and he's going through his own shit you know he's he is upset and he's grieving and he's trying to cope he's having a hard time and he misses his parents you know he's trying to act tough and whatever but he he's still a kid and he misses his mom and dad and i love that they put that scene in i do wish though that we had seen jenna go in like i mean she stand she pauses and she's standing in the doorway and taking it in. and i get it it's like a little montage quick moment but i wish that we had seen her Just sit with him, even. As part of the montage, we go back to the grill where we have um, Bonnie, you know, is about to pay the bill, by the way, is walking up to pay the bill. And then... We see, all of a sudden, revealed at the table next to her, Damon is staring at Caroline like she's the next bird he's going to taxidermize. Uh Uh-huh. He's considering her. There's, like, a sickening head tilt that he does i could be that guy that you like that likes you back it's not like i was listening to this entire conversation where you were expressing all your vulnerabilities i won't use that against you yeah yeah she's drunk she's vulnerable she's a teenager he's targeting her he's absolutely this is him initiating contact i'm so not okay with this um and something about him his last look and this is a credit to ian Somerhalder's acting something about him pities her absolutely And then we go to um, Elena's journaling and she's like, I want to be prepared for the good so that when it appears, I can invite it in. And Stefan appears out of focus in the frame under her balcony. Like, did I hear something about getting invited in? Uh... Oh, I'm here. I'm here. And, you know, we have this moment when he's at the door and he's, you know, kind of genuinely is like, I just needed to see that you were okay. And she says, you know, everybody's been asking me that. And he says what do you say? And she says, I say that I'm fine. And he asks, do you ever mean it? And she says, ask me tomorrow. And it's a little cringy, but it's a, it's very sweet. Paul Wesley's fucking eyes. Paul Wesley can almost cry with the best of them. His eyes glisten with the pain of a hundred years of living in a cave. I gotta say, Nikki, I know, I know that you, and I agree with you about Paul Wesley's acting abilities. I personally think it's a warning sign if someone shows up at your house unannounced. Oh, it's super fucking weird. It's twice in one it's day. It's very weird. It's very... Just, just a poorly spelled out text message would work. Like, haughty asking if you're okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a weird thing. It's kind of a trope also of like... I like you, and we have this immediate bond, so, like, this relationship is going from zero to 50 real fast. Uh, yeah, and he, but the fact that he shows up uninvited, it's a, it's ironic to me that she then invites him in at the we end. We get at least a hint that somehow he seems to know more about her than she does of him, and he feels a little bit stronger of a connection than she does because of... You know, he clearly is like, he has to know her. He can't resist her. 
So, like, for him, he probably genuinely does feel like I need to, like, physically check on her to make sure she's okay, especially knowing that Damon is probably targeting her. That's a good point. You, you brought me around. It's, you know, the start of something new. Um, because Elena... This could be the start. Okay, I'll stop. We don't want to get copyrighted. Uh, Elena invites him in, and the episode ends with Stefan coming into the house. And that is the pilot. Woohoo! Nikki, who are you taking and who are you staking? I am taking Stefan Salvatore's romance gaze. And I am taking him to Nora Roberts uh, to write me a romance <laughs> novel... Uh, immediately where he is going to called alone for centuries where he no 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 no. he's going to move to some small town meet like an artist or something they're gonna bicker for a while fall in love have some sexy times fight over some sort of misunderstanding make up and then get engaged by the end spoilers for every single Nora roberts novel ever um <laughs> that's what i'm taking um my stakeum is two. I have two of them. My obvious one is uh, I'm staking Tyler through the heart because fuck him. Mm-hmm. He can drop dead. Um, but I would also like to stake every single character that seems to think that four months is a long time for the Gilberts to grieve. Bridget, who are you taking and staking? I'm taking Elena to therapy. I am staking Mr. Tanner because he's an awful human being. How dare he publicly shame a student over not memorizing a random number that I, you know, I wouldn't remember if I hadn't been through a tragedy. Absolutely. Bullshit. In honor of our English class from high school, Nikki, I have looked up the Merriam-Webster word of the day for today, and it is clandestine, which I think is actually a word that was definitely on one of our vocab lists. Its definition is marked by, held in, or conducted with secrecy, surreptitious. Mm. All right, I'm... I'm going to give us uh, 60 seconds to write a sentence. All right. Uh, what's yours? My sentence is, you would think that Drug Alley would be more clandestine than it is. <laughs> That's amazing. Mine is a really obvious one. Stefan says he has been clandestinely living as a vampire for centuries. Next, we have our tarot segment. Bridget, what tarot card did you pick and for whom? I picked the Three of Swords for Vicky. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm dedicating this card. For those that don't know, the imagery on the Three of Swords is a heart that is pierced through with three swords. At least that's from the uh, tr- sort of traditional Smith Rider weight deck. And it's a card of, you know, heartbreak and sorrow. And I really think that Vicky, I think Vicky is the true victim of this episode. Um, she's clearly already gone through a bunch of rough stuff in her personal life. We We saw that kind of come through when she was talking about you know trust and 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 not trusting jeremy so that's sword number one through her heart she already has hardships that we don't even know about and that's so clear in her backstory but then sword number two is when tyler assaults her sword number three is when damon attacks her so i just really feel for vicky she's had so much going on in this episode so much to heal from and I would like to dedicate this card to her because the our work when, when, you know, everyone gets their heart pierced in one way or another. And, you know, in Lindsay Mack's teaching of this card, she talks about taking the swords out of your heart and pressing your hand to the wound 
and being present with the wound that that like healing is our responsibility even though we may not have been the ones to put the swords there so i hope that vicky now deals with her pain in a healthy way to the best of her ability so i would like to dedicate that card to her that's beautiful what about you i picked the moon for bonnie bennett oh i love that uh the moon being all things change she's on the precipice of something kind of mystical um and being connected with subconscious i think that bonnie is kind of on the edge of deciding if she's going to lean into this or not and i think it would be wise of her to lean into it to lean into the subconscious and the mysterious um and the psychic um and i think that you know the moon is also about change and she's at this moment of of an extreme change in herself and their lives and everything and i do think in a lot of ways bonnie and her you know this other element is kind of a catalyst throughout the story um and i think that this is that moment i freaking love that and and things look so different by moonlight don't they than they do when the sun comes out yes Thank you so much for joining us for the pilot, and we're so excited to keep going on this journey. We've got a lot to go, you know, who who is Catherine, and what's up with the Salvatore brothers, and why are they fighting, and is Vicky gonna be okay, what's gonna happen, and is Matt, are Matt and Elena gonna get back together? Will Brooke fly around the world in 80 days? Will Crow Paul Wesley ever reveal his diary to us? Thank you all for joining us. I've been your host, Nikki. I've been your host, Bridget, and I hope that you use clandestine in an email today. Hey, uh, dear diary. What's a hot back? Dear diary, I was willing to be lenient last year for obvious reasons, but the excuses ended with summer break. Dear diary, she's a dead ringer for Catherine. Dear diary, when's the last time you had sex with a puppy? Dear diary, it's not a competition, Caroline. Dear diary, 